Hello, hello. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Very good, very good. Slightly warm. Really? Yeah. Surprisingly, the the weather has been incredible for the last few weeks, and around thirty one or thirty two today, I think it was. Wow. So with no AC, very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, there was this expectation for some reason that September will somehow change things, but yeah, uh, it really didn't. It's like this feeling you have, you know, like uh, when something, you know, New Year or something, and you say, okay, next year it will be different, but then, then you wake up and it's exactly the same. Surely it can't get any worse. <laughs> oh, hold up. Yeah, it, it kind of can. Uh, yeah, so um, we have uh, a great topic uh, tonight. Um, there was this paper that was published and uh, widely circulated and commented on and uh, reviewed and all that. Um and we're going to talk about it. It's about blockchain privacy, and it's co-authored by Vitalik Buterin. And uh, yeah, um, did you see? Did you see? Did you manage to go over it? I I had a look at it, and and had a quick, I would say, like a, a skim read. But I read it kind of carefully, and but that didn't help with my my understanding totally. Uh, and then I played around with like one of the implementations. I forget the name of the privacy pools or something. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, like, so yeah, uh, before we dive into this topic, there were uh, like a lot of things were happening uh, during the week all over the place. Uh, in Beam, it was relatively quiet still. I think the August is not really over, so the release didn't happen yet. We hope to release it next week. The wallet, which is like already ready and uh, tested, but uh, there were things that probably are worth talking about, uh, such as, for example, uh, that the base blockchain stopped for like certain minutes. Oh, I, I, I haven't been paying a huge amount of attention because, as you know, I've been very busy. But I saw that. I saw people making fun of that, <laughs> which I enjoyed. Yeah. So, so that was one thing. Uh, stake protocol was exploited for like six thousand Ethereum. Oh. Yes. And uh, yeah. So quite, quite, a, quite a few things happened. But um, uh, you know, I mean. I think we will start and we will talk about this paper because, uh, first of all, it's it's going to be, uh, th- there is quite a lot to unpack here and I did invest uh, most of today uh, kind of digging into both the paper and also the things that uh, around the paper. So I, I do have some uh, observations and uh, things that I have uh, kind of uh, researched for, for this space. So I did invest quite a lot of time. What? And uh, uh, yeah, and I think it's, it's an important topic in general uh, for two reasons. First of all, because many of the things that we're going to talk about, we've been talking about for the last five years or so. Yeah. Uh, so it might be new uh, material for some people, but it's definitely not new for Beam because Beam has been in this privacy space for a long time. And uh, let's say many of those things were discussed a long time ago and uh, quite you know uh, in depth um but uh, just like any you know anything that uh, Vitalik Buterin says immediately gets a lot of publicity and articles like Vitalik proposed a new way to provide privacy on Ethereum and all that mm. and uh, yeah and uh, like I-, I will not pretend that I'm objective on this subject yeah um yeah I have decided against uh, me <laughs> To be completely objective, even though uh, I will uh, try to present the information, you know, in the most unbiased way, but there are uh, 
some things that, uh, like my first impression or the, the first word that came to my mind when I read the article, the, the paper, is that it's a little bit weird. Okay, and I will try to explain, like uh, uh, during during this hour, why 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 I think it's weird. Okay, yeah. So what are we talking about? So first of all, the title of this paper, and it's a scientific paper, you know, formatted in the scientific format, you know, the the one that indicates that it's scientific. Yeah, and it's called blockchain privacy and regulatory compliance towards a practical equilibrium. Okay, sure. so so far so good. Now. There are uh, one, two, three, four, five co-authors in this paper. And the first one mentioned is Vitalik Buterin. Uh, and uh, it's uh, organized in alphabetical uh, order of, uh, you know, family names. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, uh, it's just a coincidence that his name is first, probably, but it is. The second author is Jacob Ilum, or Ilum, Ilum I think. Uh, do you know who that is? I don't. I I only know BB and the the final guy. I mean, okay. So we'll we'll get to him in a second, which is interesting. But Jacob Elam is the chief scientist of Chainalysis. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, then we have Matthias Nadler and Fabian Char. I think it's pronounced. And uh, these two gentlemen are scientists uh, from university somewhere in Europe, okay. and they did the. Uh, uh, several articles about decentralization, like papers and articles about decentralization, but I think one of the most, um, I would say, like uh, prominent articles that they co-authored uh, was about the mother cash. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and it's also referenced here in, in this in this article that they wrote in this paper, it's uh, the number one, and it was called Tornado Cash and Blockchain Privacy, a Primer for Economists and Policymakers, nonetheless, right? And the last co-author is uh, Mr. Amin Soleimani, who you said you know, right? How do you know him? Uh, I, I, I don't know him, but I know of him from... It, maybe I'm mistaken, but I'm pretty sure it's the guy that made Spank Chain back in the, back in the day, which was like, a, I, I don't know, like cam girls on the blockchain kind of thing and launched like a, a fairly large number of stuff. Yeah, so that's exactly the the person, and okay. I, I, I somehow I missed the state chain. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, uh, in addition to that, he is also um, behind the uh, I don't know if it's the DAO or a, a website called Iran uh, Unchained that, that kind of handles donations. I think to Iran or something like that, and uh, several other projects that are all uh, mentioned in, uh, in in the Twitter uh, page of his that I was looking at. Uh, and one of the things that you also see there right now is uh, a website called privacypools.com. And if you go to this website, you will see that's actually the beginning of implementation of exactly the concepts that are described in this article. Yeah. So this group of people is a little bit weird already, right? So first of all, no. we have Vitalik Buterin, which is like, okay, the, the, you know, the god of Ethereum. Uh, then you have chain analysis, which also makes sense. Then you have two scholars who are not exactly in the privacy space, but wrote this article about Bernardo Cash. And then you have Amin Soleimani, who is implementing that, apparently, the, the, the things that are written in this article, but I'm not exactly sure how he relates to all the other co-authors, right? So it's kind of a uh, 
an interesting group. And the funny thing is that if you would remove, I think, uh, Vitalik from there, it would make more. Yeah. Or if you would remove, I don't know, maybe couple. So, so this group together makes a little bit kind of strange feeling. Of, like, how did this, how did this project come come together? But uh, that's okay. Yeah. So, what is this paper about? So, this paper is about an idea: uh, how to handle privacy uh, in general, right? So, it's it's a concept. It describes a concept first and foremost, and this concept is not. Uh, necessarily directly connected to Ethereum. And I always had this feeling that uh, Ethereum is the word that, you know, Vitalik brings <laughs> to this paper, basically. Yeah. Because many things or most things that are described in this paper are not, you know, specific to Ethereum in any way. Um, they are even not exactly specific to smart contracts, uh, actually, right? But uh, smart contracts obviously help, but uh, uh, not not necess- they are not necessary to implement many of the, of the things that are described. And... Um, uh, so this uh, paper has, I think, five parts. The first one is called introduction. Then we have something called technical background. Um, after that, we have after the technical background, which is quite lengthy. Uh, just we have practical considerations, considerations and use cases, and then we have further technical details, <laughs> and then we have a discussion. So these are the five kind of chapters of this uh, of this paper. Nice. Okay, so let's let's start talking about that because it gets quite funny right from the beginning. So the first sentence is public blockchains are transparent by design. Uh, okay, so I mean, we all know that that's not necessarily the case. And uh, it's especially interesting because right after that, uh, in, in, well, in, in the continuation of the paper, uh, there is this chapter called, in, in the technical background, called blockchain privacy before ZK starts. I'll, I'll talk about it starts in a second, but it starts with this classical story of how Bitcoin was considered private because of the pseudonymous addresses and then centralized exchanges came with KYCs and it was suddenly possible to track uh, identities of people and connect them to wallets. So it turns out it didn't, uh, wasn't really private. Uh, then obviously it talks about CoinJoin, which is like one of the classic uh, ways uh, of introducing the, you know people to privacy. And then it mentions Monero. Uh, which is nice, and the ring signature skin. And then suddenly it starts talking about ZK Snarks and ZK. So basically, technical background, which is the chapter that comes right after the introduction, uh, immediately focuses on ZK Snarks. Yeah. Um, so it has uh, this interesting, uh, uh, I will quote a couple of, uh, couple of sentences. Uh, they're talking about privacy, and then the next logical advancement in the quest for increased cryptographic privacy involves the introduction of general-purpose zero-knowledge proofs as used in blockchains like Zcash. Mm. Okay. Um, da, da, da. And then it says something like, there was a sentence, I, I, I need to find it, something like, like, blockchains that take privacy seriously, like Zcash, uh, yeah, and, and things like that. So uh, it's clear that uh, somebody from, from the boss of us, I don't exactly know who, but he is a uh, Zcash uh, fan or, or shield or whatever, because Zcash is mentioned quite a few times and in the context of like, and this is how Zcash does things, right? Yeah, so this is another kind of interesting point. Now, in general, uh, there is this kind of jump, right? So if you do an introduction, you explain the concept of combining privacy and regulation, which is very interesting and uh, important topic. Uh, and then you immediately jump into ZK Snark. And this is strange because, I mean, you are either describing the concept or you're describing the technology, but like ZK Snarks is definitely not the only technology that can implement the ideas that they're talking about. You have uh, uh, Lulantos, for example, which 
can also be used for, for, for their idea, which we will talk about in a second. But somehow they just, you know, start from ZK Snarks, uh, not on other cases as ZK Snarks, but I mean, that's not the only technology that can be used. And also, uh, there is absolutely no mention of any deficiencies of ZK Snarks. They are not talking about trusted setup, you know, nothing like that. Yep. It's just like ZK Snarks all the way. They've decided that the, the be all and end all, and they're ignoring yeah. other, other options and the, the like cons that come with it. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. So th this is uh, like, uh, okay, well, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's a decent choice of technology. It's, you know, we can't say nothing, you know, anything too bad about the arts, but it's kind of, uh, I would say, um, uh, premature to talk about the specific technology which you should choose because if you are presenting a new concept for privacy, I mean, uh, probably you shouldn't start with ZK Snarks, but you know, that, that's fine. Okay. So after you get this primer on ZK Snarks and you get to the point, right, to the point of, wait a second, what, what are they trying to, uh, you know, what are they proposing here? So what are they proposing? So what they're proposing is, um, the following idea and they illustrate it with the following example. Let's say there are several honest people, they call them here, you know, Alice, Bob, whatever, like uh, some random four people. But there is also the fifth person, which is known to be a thief. So the funds that are used by this fifth person, they call them in, uh, they are, uh, you know, tainted, they shouldn't be used, and uh, they're basically, kind of, you know, funds that were stolen, right? So the idea is like that. When you are using the privacy pool, and it's a standard kind of, you know, ZK starts. Basically, you can prove that you are spending something without revealing who you are or what exactly you are spending, but you can always prove that uh, you are spending the amount which you have uh, contributed into the pool, right? So that's how Zcash works. And this is how ZK Snarks works in general. And uh, when you are doing that, you can also choose your own anonymity set. So since you know that if the bad person, the thief, has contributed bad funds into the pool, you say, okay, I want to create my anonymity set and only choose people who are honest in it. Okay. Yeah. So what's happening at this point is that two things. First of all, if you can always prove that you only mix your funds with honest people. Mm. So these are like honest funds mixed with honest people for like honest privacy. But if who is a bad person in their example, their funds are not mixed with the rest. They're kind of, you know, set aside. And in fact, Eve has a problem because nobody wants to be in, in the anonymity set with them because they stole those funds, right? Yeah. So this is the example they use to illustrate the concept in its, I would say, the most simplistic form. Now, this process of creating this uh, anonymity set, they call it an association set. And it's obvious that users cannot do it manually. It's not like you're going now to you know, manually select everyone in your huge anonymity set that's not going to work. So you need some kind of a system. You need some kind of automated uh, algorithm or something that allows you to create these uh, sets. Now, uh, these sets are created in uh, one of two forms. It's either a membership proof or exclusion proof. So basically, you can say either that you are a member of some group of honest people or that you are not a member. You can prove that you are not a member of a group of bad people. You can do either of these two things in their system. Okay. Okay. Now, so what they're saying here in the quote, in practice, users will not manually pick, uh, will not be manually picking or and choosing the posits 
to include in their association set. Rather, users will subscribe to intermediaries that can call that we can call association set providers or ASPs, mm-hmm. which generate association sets that have certain properties. Okay. So what they're saying is, listen, you cannot choose your own association set. Obviously, it's, you know, it's not practical, but don't worry. There will be people out there, organizations maybe, or groups or whatever, that will create this associate, association set for you. We will call them ASP, association set provider. Yeah. So <laughs> you, are you hearing yeah. this? You're hearing this, right? It, it, yeah. It starts like, okay. Yes. Um, so what does it mean to, that you are an association set provider? It means that you're actually deciding who are the good people and who are the bad people. Mm. Yeah. Which I feel like we've, we've done this for, for many years. Yeah, it sounds familiar in many, many ways, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, if you if you kind of abstract it from the miracle proofs and all that science, uh, I mean, come on. Now, uh, and then they provide some, uh, uh, they call it possible constructions for how ASPs might operate in practice. And they give several examples. Uh, and this is exactly, I mean, when I was reading that, they were like, okay, that's, that's the part that Chainalysis wrote, right? Mm. Okay. Because, because these examples are, number one, act with delay, exclude bad act. Any deposit is automatically added to the association set after a fixed period of time, let's say seven days, right? So basically you deposit your funds and then after seven days, when they are sure everything is fine with your funds, they, they provide you on the need okay. and allow you, and allow you to, de- to, to withdraw, uh, it, it kind of, you know, withdraw your funds. What? Yeah. What happens if they decide you're you're not okay? You're bad. Uh, but then 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 you can only withdraw your funds uh, in a transparent way. You will not get any Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So it's basically like okay, you deposit your funds and then you wait until you know everything clears and nobody says, oh wait a second, you know, he stole my funds from me and he's actually a bad person for some period of time. They say seven days, but I mean, it's just an example. Yeah. And then if you are considered fine, then you will get, you will get your anonymity and you can withdraw. Um, example number two, uh, certain amount per month per person. Like for example, if you deposit $10 for your, you know, chewing gum expenses, then it's fine. You'll get your anonymity immediately. But if we're talking about larger amounts, then obviously it will take more time for them to check where you got it. Okay. Uh, it's all explained here, like in, in very kind of uh, clear terms. So, like, if anyone is reading this paper, I would suggest jump to this part, which is not technical, because the technical part is actually one obscures the, the, the concept and also is a little bit irrelevant. Uh, because, I mean, yes, it's one of the way to present it, but there are others. Um, or number three, re- real interesting one. Uh, certain amount per month per trusted community member. You you, you hear that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if you're a trusted community member or member of a high trust community, yeah. yeah. Okay. Then you will get your anonymity quick. And the the, the fourth one, which is absolutely awesome as usual, uh, real time AI based scoring. Ah, the AI based scoring. Yeah. What kind of yeah, awesome. I mean, so you deposit your fund into the pool, right? And then they say, oh, oh, one second. Our AI shows that you don't get to be anonymous. You, you're you not, not, not the one. Your, your AI calculated social score is too low. Sorry, man. Not anonymity for you. Yeah. 
I, I wonder if your score goes down after your first like rejection. Like if you yeah. apply, like if you apply for a credit card and get declined, then your credit score gets worse or whatever. Of course it does. I have no doubt about that. Right. Um, then they switch back to technical talk and uh, talk about supporting arbitrary denominations, which is not very interesting. Uh, all kinds of special cases, reproofing, a lot of technical uh, talk mm. and more technical talk and more technical talk, sequential proofs. So like there is a lot of technical talk after that in this uh, further technical details kind of uh, part. And then finally they get to the discussion, which is also very interesting. Uh, so what are they talking about in the discussion? Say, okay, uh, there is this kind of uh, three more. There are several sections in this. So the first section is called societal consensus and association set. If, and the, I quote, if there is a perfect consensus on which funds are good and which are bad, in quotes, in the system, the system will lead to simple separating equilibrium. All users with good assets have strong incentive and the ability to prove their membership in a good only association set. Bad actors, on the other hand, will not be able to provide that proof. Okay. So, I mean, I would say, okay, yes, it's obvious. I mean, if you uh, you know can prove that you're a good person, then then you're good. But if you can't prove that you're a good person or whatever, you, you know, you probably are not good or something like that. So it, it, it's a little bit too uh, idealistic, I would say, because have there ever been a perfect consensus of on which funds are good? No. Sure. Yes. So this perfect consensus is already kind of suspicious. Uh, but then they say, uh, don't worry. I mean, we understand that you know, it's not always the case that, uh, uh, you know, there is a perfect consensus, so they continue. So in cases where there is no global consensus and conclusion of whether funds are perceived as good or bad depends on the societal perspective or the jurisdiction. Um, so such could differ. So basically what it says, if you're living in a uh, jurisdiction where your funds are good, but you are sending it to the jurisdiction where these funds are bad, then you have a problem. Okay. Um, and then they explain how this can be somewhat resolved with all kinds of, I don't even know how to call it, kind of the smallest common denominator thing or something like that. I, I quote here, right? Because, I mean, you, you need to, to kind of, uh, it's difficult to, to uh, I would say, imagine how it is going, going to work. But that's what they're saying, verbatim, right? If needed, one could issue a membership proof against the intersection of both associations set and thereby credibly demonstrate that the deposit corresponds to, the, to their withdrawal in line with the requirements of both jurisdictions. So basically what they're saying is that, let's say you have $1,000, and out in this $1,000, one jurisdiction says that uh, only 100 are good, and the other one is that only uh, well, 50 are good. So you can basically send 50 from one jurisdiction to another. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I mean... I always like when I when I uh, hear those words like jurisdiction or consensus. I always imagine the differences between countries like I don't know, like Russia and I don't know Switzerland, United States or Australia, like completely different places with completely different laws. Uh, anyway, um, so then they continue to talk about all kinds of uh, properties for these sets and about uh, uh, practical consideration and competition, and um, uh, they say like how today. Uh, the regulation actually is working using the transaction screening tools and all that. So uh, there is all kinds of um, ex like expansions and explanations about their idea. And then uh, uh, 
one of the words that you will notice that kind of repeats itself uh, over and over through this paper is the word flexible. Yeah. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to avoid kind of, you know, building hard, you know, boundaries of what exactly these pools will do or how, how they will be used. Because from the technological perspective, it's nothing new, right? It's exactly the same mixer. The difference is that there is somebody from the outside that decides who you can mix with and who you can't mix with. Yeah. Yeah. And then they say things like, uh, the general setup of privacy pools is very flexible. Uh, by creating specific association sets, the protocol can be customized to suit a very large variety of use cases. Um, so here are two examples. A consortium of commercial banks could create an association set that only includes their customers' deposits. This guarantees that any withdrawal creating a proof against this set has undergone a KYC and AML procedure at one of the banks involved. So basically, when you come to your bank and you want to deposit your crypto, they will say, wait a second, wait a second, let's check your crypto. Like, let's, let's please provide us a proof that your crypto is part of that association set, that you only mixed with the people who are actually customers of our bank. Mm. And then you can deposit your funds while preserving your privacy. Otherwise, no. Now, by the way, what's the otherwise, right? What's, what's, the, uh, what's the alternative? The alternative is that you have to open it, right? You have to create an open transaction and give up your privacy. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that uh, they are trying to do is to kind of say, listen, uh, what we are doing here, we're trying to minimize um, like how much privacy you give up. So they have this great table, absolutely amazing, that they find it right here. Ah, no, I'm sorry. It's not in, it's not in this article. It's like, oh, we'll get to it in a moment. But basically they're saying, listen, if you if you have a problem, let's say you cannot use your private funds privacy, so your option is to do it publicly. You just open your, you know, your transactions and then you use it publicly. And this is the way that it works. Okay. So um, one of the things that uh, obviously this article references is uh, the original article uh, by um, uh, the two authors. Let me open it right here because it's, it's also very interesting and um, important. So uh, Matthias Nadler and Fabian Schar, they have published uh, earlier an article called, called Tornado Cash and the Blockchain Privacy, a Primer for Economists and Policymakers. I and yeah, and this this article, uh, this specific uh, uh, paper that we was just published, it all it is based in on some of the assumptions and some of the uh, conclusions that were made in that article um, about tornado cash. So in the tornado cash article, what they did, they did this interesting analysis uh, on um, uh, different types of uh, on-chain privacy. Okay, uh, so they have uh, separated it, it into two categories: into backwards-looking privacy and forward-looking privacy, okay? Now, it's a little bit difficult to kind of understand exactly what they mean, but the point is that um, backward-looking privacy, when you uh, provide the proof about it, it discloses everything you did up until that point. Okay. So let's say you had some transactions, and then you come and you say, okay, uh, now I provide the proof that mm -hmm. everything I did until that point was fine, and from that point onward, you don't know anything about it. So like, once our transaction is complete, I move along and I do, don't do anything. Uh, and the forward-looking privacy is exactly the opposite, right? So you basically say, um, it's very complicated. Let me let me quote it as they say. <laughs> so it doesn't allow, the forward-looking privacy doesn't allow the server to link a known transaction that occurred before the privacy-enhancing event to future transactions that happen after the privacy-enhancing event. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't quite follow. Me neither. <laughs> it's like 10 times and it's very confusing. 
Uh, but but let's let's look at the example. So if you are not using any mixing protocol no. at all, basically you don't have any privacy. So you don't have backward looking or forward looking, no privacy at all. Yeah. If you are using a privacy coin like Monero or Beam, uh, you have both. Oh. But if you're using their idea with this partial disclosure, right? So you don't have backward looking uh, looking privacy. So basically, every time you use this partial disclosure, you disclose you disclose everything you have done so far. But you have forward-looking privacy, which means that whoever you have disclosed this to doesn't know what you're doing. Okay. 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 Now, this sounds, I mean, it sounds better than no privacy at all at one, like at first glance. Hmm. But, that, but then I'm thinking, wait a second. So if every time you are requested, you are proving what you have done before and disclose it. Yeah. And it like happens all the time then this forward-looking privacy is not really useful to you, right? Because no, as soon as you do it, as soon as you use it more than once, you're going to have to like tell everyone about the, the stuff prior to the first time as well, which kind of... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's very, it's very similar to, uh, like, obviously, how, very similar how the system works today in many, in many uh, aspects. Um, okay, so so this is kind of the the overview of the idea. Now, few questions that I have. So first of all, um, it's not new in in the sense that when we were talking about auditability back, I don't know, five years ago, right? And we try to understand how this works uh, and what is needed from the protocol to be uh, auditable, to be compliant. And we did the analysis on that. We have immediately reached this uh, observation that, yes, you can very easily prove everything that you have done yourself because obviously it's your wallet. You have signed all the transactions. You have all of the data. And you can always easily uh, provide proofs for the data. However, the problem is not with what you have done. The problem is always with the source of fun. Because right now, the way it works is that every bank uh, is responsible for the funds that go into that bank. And they are uh, required by law to ensure a lot of you know checks and those things that they uh, have to make sure where those funds came from. And now when you transfer from one bank to another, this is, it works like a closed system, right? So if there is no new money going in, then everything is uh, regulated and compliant. And when there is no new money going into one of the banks, it's the responsibility of that bank to make sure that these funds are okay, which is why all banks are very careful when they get, uh, you know, transfers from other banks that they don't necessarily trust, or obviously you cannot walk into a bank with a you know bag of cash, even if you have just withdrawn this cash from you know the, another bank across the street, it's, it's a problem, right? They will not accept it. Yeah. And this is why there is there are all of these restrictions on using cash in general because uh, you know that that's that's how the system maintains its compliance. And one of the problems with blockchain in this regard is that you have a lot a lot of peer-to-peer transactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you're using like DeFi protocols, like everything like mixes. And then when you come to the bank, you cannot easily prove the source of funds. And, you know, I mean, even if it's, a, if it, 
it's a completely open uh, blockchain like Ethereum or, or Bitcoin, it requires some work to establish the transaction graph, not to mention if it is a privacy blockchain where it's not possible at all. Yeah. And one of the uh, conclusions that we reached back, back then is, is that the only way this can realistically work is that if you have this protocol where each transaction that you want eventually to be audit auditable should go through this third party, right? Basically, exactly the same idea. You, you need to have your bank involved somehow in your peer-to-peer transaction yeah. to audit it. Um, some proof of authority. I mean, that that's what I kept thinking of when we were, when we were talking about it. It's very like, it, it seems very permissioned in like some kind of strange... Like a blockchain could work in the same fashion where there's a group of people that are saying, okay, this transaction's all good and, and that kind of thing, but it kind of defeats the whole purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it basically falls to the same idea and there is no other way to implement it under the current uh, definitions of compliance. Yeah. So this is exactly where it all stands because what's happening right now is that there is a working banking system, uh, I mean, working in, in practical sense, it, it works. You, you can criticize it. You can, you know, there are pros and cons, but this is how things work right now. Yeah. And now you have a completely new technology, which is blockchain. And uh, the question is, what what are you going to do? Are you going to use exactly the same regulatory framework and compliance frameworks to uh, govern the blockchain transactions as well? Or do you need you one? So let's look at these two uh options separately. Let's start with assuming that we are going to continue exactly like it is today, right? You have KYC, you have AML, all the things are exactly as they are right now. So under this framework, there is absolutely no problem with implementing both privacy and compliance. And we've been saying that for a very long time. And back in the day, obviously it was five years ago, the main problem was not that it wasn't technologically impossible to combine privacy and compliance, it was because there was absolutely no regulatory or other bodies that could have participated in the process. So if I would say, yeah, I'm building a system that allows you to ver verify each transaction exactly like it would work with the bank, uh, there were absolutely no organizations willing or, you know, being able to do that. Yeah. But if you have such organizations, so what you need is one, identity provider for your KYC to include your identity proof in the transaction. You can obviously include any documentation in the transaction. It's been that way in Beam since forever and most other blockchains as well. Uh, so you can provide all this information in encrypted form that can be verified using this same zero knowledge proofs or, or like other technologies by the uh, auditing organization during the transaction. So it's, there is absolutely no technical problem in building that, right? Beam can do it easily today. And you don't give up your privacy you know, for any other transactions because, like, once again, on Ethereum, on Zcash, most of the transactions are completely public, right? Even, even though if you implement the system, uh, the fact that you have public transactions weakens the overall privacy. So it's not a technological issue. It never was. It's more of a... Uh, political, regulatory, uh, or whatever, right? So there is absolutely no technological problem with making this work. And it's important to understand because some people think that, oh, wait a second, compliance and privacy, uh, you know, they don't combine. 
here there is an article saying like how we can achieve a practical equilibrium and the answer is very easily if there was a will to achieve yeah so all of these constructions with you know sets of kind of you know selective anonymity sets where you mix only with good people but not with bad people it's all great but the problem is not with this technology the problem is that eventually you will still have to have these organizations or uh, you know, things or governments or whatever who decide who are the good people and the bad people, and then we're back to where we start. Uh, not to mention the ideas of having like a bank basically accept only funds that were you know, brought from another bank they trust, which is exactly like it is today. So if we take this with current framework for compliance, it, it, it's not very innovative. It's very difficult to implement, not technically, but rather like politically, mm. and it doesn't really provide any additional privacy, I would say, over that what we have right now in the banking system, which is considered private because, you know, bank employees sign, uh, you know, file this uh, NDA or whatever, that they will not disclose information about the customers. And that's exactly the same level. So all of this decentralization, don't trust, verify, all of these concepts are kind of out of the picture. Yeah. And then you can really ask, why do we, why do we even need a blockchain for that? Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so wait. We have a good question that I want to bring up now Shit. Uh, from Galaxia underscore MCAT. Is the space about the article because many people thought it was a good idea because it sounds clearly like a dumb article. Why is it important? Why is it so important? It's because Vitalik Buterin was involved, isn't it? I added all the emphasis. Of course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, I totally agree that in many senses I, I'm preaching to the choir here or whatever the, you know, however the expression goes, because obviously people in our community, uh, don't, you know, like they understand what's the difference between this privacy and, and, and the privacy that been provided. But I think it's important to talk about it because, uh, first of all, two things, first of all, it's going to be talked about. And, uh, at least maybe for some of you, I have saved, you know, reading the article, uh, and which is also, I think, a good service. But the point is that all of these things are, uh, they have impact um, on how people are talking about it, thinking about it, like what's considered a good implementation of privacy and what's not, right? So, uh, uh, I mean, yes, the fact that Vita if Vitalik Buterin was not in this paper, probably it would have been much less uh, talked about, much less publicized. And, you know, there's a good uh, uh, chance that we would have not even, you know, read it. But since this concept, and you know, somehow it, it came, you know, to the, to our agenda, I think it's important to talk about it. Uh, but also because there are some, like eventually, like let's take a look at this from the other side, right? Um, if we take the perspective of being completely, you know, we don't care, you know, Monero doesn't care, Bin doesn't care. Everything is private, you know, not listed on exchanges, nobody cares. So yes, that's fine. This is, it's a great approach. But if we're trying to analyze this from a more practical perspective of, okay, so let's say we wanted to make it work, uh, with more of kind of real world compliance in some way, what would it take? What would be required? And by the way, uh, let, let me give you an example why this, this is like relevant, right? For example, tornado cash, uh, and it. They actually say it here in, in the article that Tornado Cache provides a compliance feature, and I'm quoting here, that allows the user to create a proof 
of which deposit a given withdrawal comes from, right? While this mechanism while this mechanism does allow people to prove their innocence, it comes at the cost of having to trust a centralized intermediary and creates information asymmetries, right? So what they're saying, and they're quoting their own article here, they're saying, listen, Tornado Cash did have a mechanism that allowed any user to say, wait a second, my funds are completely clean because here is the proof of what exactly was mixed there, right? Yeah. But that was not good enough because they're in jail and the yeah. entire protocol is in the upper key, right? Yeah. And then we say, wait a second, but uh, what is good enough? And this is one of the questions that this article is trying to answer. And it says, no, no, that's not good enough for you to be able to provide this proof. Somebody else needs to be able to do that for you. Because, I mean, the logic that I, like, I mean, my logic says it should be enough. Somebody comes to you and says, listen, what did that, you know, where did those funds come from? Oh, they were mixed. Maybe they were mixed with money from bad people. And then you say, no, I can prove that it's not. Mm. That should be good enough, or in my opinion. Yeah. But it's not. No. And, and, and I like, I'm sorry to read out again, Galaxia messages that are coming through on Telegram. It, they mentioned that the banks are just afraid of, of being left behind and, and when it comes to crypto and trying to convince us that they're they're needed and i feel like this is kind of it's a very good point like the whole article kind of to me at least feels like we're trying to take away any goodness that comes from like blockchain in general but but especially privacy and blockchains to try and conform to this old world ideas and and this kind of stuff that is the whole reason that like uh crypto is is here i mean if you if you look at like the outside of crypto stuff you can have great privacy <laughs> great privacy if you're a certain person or if you have enough money and this kind of stuff uh, otherwise you get less privacy and, and this kind of thing, but in crypto, it should be anyone and everyone has access to privacy, which luckily it's, it's there if you go to the right places, but this whole paper feels like it's very kind of like cre credit scores I mentioned before and like social credit scores and permissioned and it feels very awkward even reading it, to be honest. Yeah, first of all, yeah, I, I agree. But uh, the way I see it, it's, uh, it's a process. So mm. there is this uh, concept of the of the Overton window, right? Uh, that uh, kind of indicates what is the norm. What is the norm in society today in respect for money, right? What is money, how it is treated, uh, how it is handled, and all these things. And the crypto, the blockchain industry has... Uh, created a lot of new concepts and mechanisms, both technical and social, that the society and the banks and all the regulatory system and the government were not ready uh, at all. It was, you know, it was very um, surprising for them because, okay, so there was this Bitcoin for the first years, it was absolutely nothing and then suddenly it exploded and then suddenly millions of people around the world 
are participating in this new thing, which is uh, like, what is it? Is it the new economy? Is it the new world order? Like, uh, we don't even understand what it is. Yeah. And it's completely different from everything they need. So obviously there are two conflicting things that are happening at the same time. And I will give a specific example. So obviously, yes, we all see very well uh, the rejection, the, the you know, um, attempts to hinder any progress or any change and uh, banks fighting for things to remain exactly, uh, you know, how they were for, for ages, yes. Mm. But at the same time, we see the same banks, obviously, doing something completely different. They're trying to uh, adopt some parts of those technologies and say, wait a second, wait a second, maybe there is something in this for us. Oh, look, it makes uh, international transactions much faster. It makes things easier and many different domains, which is why um, JP Morgan Chase, which is one of the largest banks in the world, they invest tons of money into uh, building internal blockchain technologies. So yes, they're not trading on public blockchains just yet, but they are using internal private blockchains because they have found that, oh, it's easier to integrate other organizations that are willing to trade these new tokenized uh, securities that we provide, right? Suddenly, like there are all kinds of benefits. And these two things happen at the same time. Uh, I think one of the most recent news is that Visa is launching Stablecoin and Solana or something like that, right? I mean, okay. yeah. did you hear about it? No, I didn't. I, I saw the PayPal one, but I, I didn't see Visa. Yeah, so, so there was this kind of uh, uh, interesting piece of news about, uh, I think it was Visa launching on Solana or something like that. And you would say, like, wait a second, like, was it even imaginable a few years ago? I mean, it, yeah. it, it is happening. PayPal is, is launching a stable coin. You have gold on, on, on chain. You have all kinds of organizations starting to move on chain. Obviously, not everyone at once. Yeah. And obviously, not uh, you know uh, immediately. But uh, these two processes are happening at the same time. So there is the rejection and trying to keep the things as they are, and also the will and interest in the innovation. And I think these articles, especially when they are co-authored by, uh, let, let's do it like this, leaders of the industry in some way, right? Yeah, I mean, that's right. Uh, we can say anything we want about anyone, but like Chainalysis is a well-known company in the regulation and compliance field, and you know this is their uh, chief scientist with the founder of Ethereum and and the Spank Chain guy. That's <laughs> 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 so weird. Anyway, so so they 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 write this article which uh, you. You know, trying to create this equilibrium between compliance and privacy. So yes, I think a lot of people, a lot of people, are going to read it. Yeah, in many different, uh, I would say, like organizations, governmental and otherwise. And yeah, I, I think uh, the concept that are, and especially it comes and it builds on top of the Tornado Cash story, which is also interesting because, uh, I mean, Tornado Cash. They say that it's like one of the most uh, well-known uh, privacy protocols, but I mean, there are many that were at least as well-known, if not more, before before the arrest and before the uh, adding the uh, protocol to the sanction at least for the first time in history, right? Yeah. So this uh, uh, created a lot of waves that right now are being discussed in many different areas and I think this article 
is trying to build on top of that and say, okay, so Tornado Cache provided privacy in some way, but it was not good enough. It was not compliant enough. It didn't work well with the compliance. So let's see how we improve on that, right? So this is, I think, what what was one of the goals because eventually, and I honestly believe that Vitalik Buterin does uh, want privacy on Ethereum. Yeah. And understands the importance of privacy. However, it's, it's, you know, it's muddy waters. You need to be very careful. You need to understand because we just saw an example where there was suddenly too much privacy. So, so yeah, yeah, that's, that's, I think the point. And I mean, and, and like people being persecuted for, uh, using something like tornado cash and obviously not ideal. And, and I do think like Vitalik does more privacy on Ethereum, but also does more people to be persecuted for using it. So it kind of makes sense in that regard. Yes, I absolutely agree because uh, right now Ethereum is uh, in a great position. Uh, it's a leading blockchain for many, many different applications. Uh, you probably heard this. Uh, did you hear this story that he sold his maker token? Oh, I didn't follow it super closely, but I saw he sold some and, and many of the like VCs, whoever they were. So the story that I heard, it was that he sold his maker tokens after MakerDAO announced that uh, they're going to build uh, the, their own chain based on Solana technology. Oh, I didn't see that. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but at least that's how it was presented in, in the press that like the... Uh, they made this decision and they sold his bank talk. It's like, I don't know if this was even related, but I mean, I definitely understand uh, his uh, interest in making Ethereum, and I mean it in a completely like, good way, right? Making Ethereum better and uh, keeping it in front uh, as, as a chain that to be used for, for DeFi and for like uh, really great applications that, that exist on it. Uh, Maker, by the way, being one of the, I think, greatest examples of an amazing concept of over-collateralized stablecoins. That's great project. So, yeah, like, uh, and having privacy is obviously becoming more and more uh, discussed in many different contexts. And now that large organizations uh, are joining these processes, they also say, okay, one second, but for our users, we would like to have this and that. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it, it's a completely understandable uh, effort to to figure this out, right? Now, the good thing in, in this article, like, I mean, yes, I mean, we have criticized a lot of concepts here as being, first of all, not very practical, not very new, and not very useful for for the real-world privacy, uh, you know, differentiating the blockchain from, from what we have right now in the bank, because, I mean, yeah, the, the banks, we, we know how the banks work, but... The good thing is here is that this topic of privacy is being discussed and it's being discussed by not just us, right? I mean, yes, in many, in many situations, we will, we all know that and we all understand that, but we are still a very much minority and uh, a niche of people who understand privacy. We understand how it works. We understand how to build it and how to use it. Now, when we have most people in the world that don't even realize that they need it in the first place, I think any article of this caliber that talks about this uh, is good because it raises awareness. Uh, it, uh, you know, widens the, the, the group of people that are involved in these discussions. 
So yeah, I, I totally agree that uh, at least in this regard, it's it's, a, you know, it's important to to have these articles and to talk about it. Absolutely, I th- I think it's great. Like it, as even if the like protocol and and that kind of thing brought up is is not the greatest. It's great to have people such as the authors discussing it and and bringing more attention to it and the the wider crypto community outside of those that are in the know of, of privacy and this kind of stuff and but by the way one thing that i wanted to say i mean yes i i did you know not uh, a lot of things here but i think i i did make an effort to analyze it on its merits of of like how they wanted it to work like what's the mechanism here and uh, i would really like uh if you, if anyone sees uh, any other uh, in-depth analysis of this article, uh, please send it to us uh, via Twitter or mentions or Telegram, or whatever. Because so far, uh, and I was looking for, for for you know criticisms or kind of in-depth reviews, I didn't find too many. What I found was two things. I found a lot of uh, news article, quote unquote news article, like Charlie uh, <laughs> brings us the new hope, yeah. and uh, I also found a lot of. Uh, uh, especially Twitter comments like, "Oh, Vitalik and the Chainalysis are doing privacy and Ethereum. Like, how how good can it be, right?" So yeah, I mean, I agree, but uh, but still, it would be nice to see more kind of in-depth analysis, especially of this mechanism, and especially in in the context that is being used. Uh, I think it will, uh, you know, it, it, it's always good to uh, to look deeper into those things, and uh, there are a lot of hidden, interesting uh, aspects for sure. Alex, before we wrap up, we have a few questions that we shall go through. Let me find them. Yeah, I have it. Okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, let, 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 I have three questions here. The second one is about SBBS issue. Uh, so first of all, uh, yes, we will invite Vladi regardless to the next page. Uh, uh, Max Black Fletcher wanted to, to, to invite him to this space, but I really wanted to talk about this article. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, so we'll, we will do it next time. Uh, I promise. Uh, but it, it was it was fixed and it's waiting for the release, which is being delayed for absolutely non-technical reasons. So I don't know. Basically, being lazy. But I mean, not just, but like there are a lot of laziness in that as well. We 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 need to release it. I hope to do it next week. Uh, but like it, it's completed. There we will start with. Um, with Dubnet, I think that as soon as possible, then we can see if, if it works exactly as we discussed. Um, so that's the the easy question. The first question, which is more difficult, is about death fee, which is ending soon, and uh, we still have almost no documentation. And what what's going on? So first of all, we do have quite a lot of documentation. Uh, I mean, it might be not perfect but we, we do have it it's in github right now you can contribute to it you can do pull like you know forks and pull requests and improve it and even just open issues of saying wait a second this is not explained well or maybe expanding that it will help right because there is a, a lot of documentation on many topics not on all of them but most of them are there uh regarding the dfc ending yes it, it, it's ending in January. There will be no treasury. 
Uh, but having said that, uh, as current beam prices, with the funds that we have, is like they're not very large, and we use them very wisely. And uh, I mean, yes, it's a problem, not an easy to solve one, unfortunately. Uh, we will continue developing and we'll continue supporting the protocol with everything we have. Uh, most people that contribute today are not doing it in any you know paid waveform or whatever, not even bounties. So yeah, that will continue. But other than that, yes, I mean, it, it's a fact that it's indie. Uh, and uh, the third one, could the team make an ethical marketing proposal that either uses the treasury or cloud fund uh, to find fund the marketing tactic? What, what does uh, ethical marketing make, uh, mean in this context? You know? I was not sure, actually. So something like an article or on a popular website, a listing. So, okay. So, yeah. So first of all, uh, we, we do that uh, from time to time. Um, for example, the, the article that uh, was published uh, on uh, Hacker Noon was uh, promoted. Um, but, like, yeah, we, we, first of all, all of the funds, like, and we, we need to talk to Amir to understand exactly when it's happening also, but all of the funds are going to be moved to the DAO vault, and uh, de facto, they're already managed by the DAO, so definitely there can be a proposal to allocate any amount of beam to you know, promotions of any kind, and it can be voted upon on chain, and then we can decide to do it. So that's definitely a possibility to do that. Yeah, and I want to I wanna say, like, uh, it, it doesn't need to come from the team. Like, uh, as we're transitioning to the DAO, these proposals can come from anyone, obviously. Um, and, and even before all of the funds are transferred and that kind of thing, I'd, I'd definitely like encourage anyone with any proposals to to put the proposal forth on the forum or or even in the telegram chat and this kind of stuff and and see what people think and get some feedback and that kind of thing and i i mean personally i would happily contribute some beam to proposals that i thought would be beneficial for for the the beam ecosystem and I'm sure absolutely. Absolutely. Well. absolutely. Uh, having said that, it's important also to um, have realistic expectations from these promotions because of two reasons. First of all, uh, bear market and the overall attention is very, very low. Uh, and uh, the second is that uh, in order to create uh, a sufficient amount of uh, you know, noise and attention in this climate, uh, it, it's really a lot of money. So it requires a lot of funding to to make something that will, unless you are Vitaly Buterin writing about blockchain privacy, uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it's 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 not simple. So yeah, I mean, if we do have land expectations of what the impact is going to be, it's definitely a possibility to allocate funds and do uh, and do marketing. Absolutely. Great. I feel that we've, you know, it, it's been a good space and we've discussed uh interesting topic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we will uh, reconvene next week at the usual time. Uh, please send us uh, interesting things that are happening and you want to talk about, except for, for the beam updates on the state. And uh, we'll see you next week.
Absolutely, Alex. It's been a pleasure. Uh, and see you next week. And thank you all the questions from Galaxia, Max and Flaxel for putting them together and everyone for joining. Absolutely. See you soon. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.